Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. You seem a little uh, Mike Gainey. Mike Gainey. Is it just me? Am I? Am I the one that's? Um... I haven't touched any of the settings. Oh. And keep them strong and strong and steady all the time. Strong and steady, baby. Strong and steady. Yeah, never, never mess with perfection. Right? Why would you? You, you nailed the drum kit to the floor. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's me. It's me that's always changing shit. Up that's here. right. Yeah. Come in here and turn my dials when I'm not watching. No, 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 no. I don't want to do that. All right, here we go. I'm, 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 I'm doing good. Yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of my sound. Like, how's your health? Oh, my health. <clears throat> That's good. You know, I've as I've gotten to be, uh, I've just got, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with just, just a standard amount of sort of flemminess in my voice. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, <clears throat> like when I when I do an imitation of my dad. And I get all like, you know, hey, what the hell? <laughs> There's a certain amount of, you know, <clears throat> fl- you know, kind of just like phlegmatic <laughs> uh, sound. And it's just it's just happening to me little by little. My the dulcet tones of my young voice are turning into this sort of <clears throat> constant, constant throat clearing of a man of a certain age. Yeah. So, yeah, my, other than that, my health is. It's just fine. Do we talk about the blood pressure thing or should we? The two, well, you know, it too seems soon? <laughs> too soon. Seems like the, uh, seems like the blood pressure medication is stabilizing my, uh, my condition. Here I am in the prime of my health again. My Fitbit stopped working and I, I, uh, I returned it and they sent me a new one, but it was just that little thing, that little bump in the road that now I, I, I forget to wear it. Yeah. It's there. You're done with that thing now. I haven't walked 10,000 steps in, (laughs) in a month, not in in, the the entire month. Yeah. In the entire (laughs) month I haven't walked. Right. So, but other than that, other than the constant throat clearing, and the fact that I had cake for breakfast yesterday, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm away driving back here from lunch. Uh, there was a guy driving in the middle lane with his left turn signal on. Yeah. And at first I thought, you know, he maybe he was going to get in the left lane. And he didn't. He just kept going. No other cars around him. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I said, oh, he must, he must not know that he's got his turn signal on somehow. Right. And so right. I, I, I thought... Is it possible that he just doesn't hear it? Could he just maybe not hear the turn signal? So I turned mm-hmm. my own turn signal on, no other cars around. I turned my own turn signal on, and I could hear it really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was in a newer car. He was in a, a blue Honda CRV. I would say mm-hmm. within a year or two of age at the most. Did, did his license plate say undecided voter? No. Oh. And then he... Uh, he proceeded to then merge into the right lane with his left turn signal still on and then uh, nose off the highway down off the exit ramp with his left turn signal still on as he's Hmm. going right off the highway. Hmm. And I I did glance into the, uh, the window and I saw that he was of an advanced age, even older than you. Oh, I see. 
And my question is, do you think he just doesn't care? Does he not know? Can he not hear it? What is it that was his mind someplace else? Yeah, I think <clears throat> the the <clears throat> uh, in my uh, GMC RV, the previous owner put an aftermarket turn signal sound, right? Because I think he was probably older, and he wasn't picking up the bing, bing, ding, bing, yeah. ding, bing. And so when you turn the turn signal on in the GMC RV. The most unpleasant high pitched meat, 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 meat goes off and it disturbs everyone in the vehicle. You can be all the way in the back (laughs) and you'll, you know, people come out from the back, like in their, in their robe, uh, saying, what is that sound? And I'm like, I'm sorry. It's a turn signal. I'm, I feel obligated to use it because it's a, it's a, it's a device to signal to other people what your intentions are. But I cannot turn it off fast enough when I've when I've made my yeah. my corn. And uh yeah, aftermarket thing. And so I think it must be um fairly common, fairly common problem that that whatever the little have you ever gotten your hearing tested? Yes. Right. So they show you the graph. It's like, oh, your hearing is great. You can absolutely hear like seismic events. <laughs> you can hear uh, jet airplanes, <clears throat> and then right up there at the sound of a turn signal blinker there's just this precipitous drop there's a this is i'm talking about my hearing now right right. and then uh there's this uh you know deep cave or deep um canyon and then it pops back up and it and then you you have great hearing up there where babies cry and blenders work um so there's just this, you know, just this a, terrible in that one range. That's right. Now, do you, you, I would think have been exposed to extremes of sound. That's, that's right. Yes, I have. When you have an, no, go ahead. Well, I mean, where you stand as a lead singer in a rock band is immediately in front of the symbols and you elevate the drummer in many cases. So the symbols are right at the, you know, right at the back of your head Mm -hmm. and the drummer is just hitting those symbols as hard as he can night after night. And, uh, it's just not, I mean, and add to that, like all the amplifiers going your own amplifier pointed at you. Right all the monitor speakers just it's a very it's <clears throat> it's a very loud environment and the worst kind of you know it's the worst kind of loud like if you're in EDM sound and all day long you're hearing right. you know it's it's going to affect how your bowels work as an old man oh, really but it's well i assume <laughs> uh, but it's not going to take that it's not going to make that notch right at the right at the sound of the symbol mm-hmm. you know that notch in the in my hearing is just right at the and that's just the damage that's the damage of the job do people um like who who are who are in that situation have you ever met anyone or a drummer or anybody 
who has worn earplugs or anything like that? Or is it just totally like not cool? Like no one does that. Well, we all have fancy, expensive molded earplugs now. Yeah. I mean, everybody gets those made eventually, but then everybody forgets them and leaves them on the coffee table or you end up, it isn't that it doesn't like successfully cut the sound, but what, what happens, especially if you're singing is that when you, when you block the ear like that, it causes your own voice to resonate in your head, right? You hear your voice much better. Yeah. Um, because you're, because you're able to hear the voice through the bones and that's great, but it's also, it gives you an inaccurate picture of, of the sound. And I know a lot of sound men, when they're, when they're giving you your monitors, they say, if you're wearing earplugs, um, you know, don't ask me for more this or that, because if you want more stuff in your wedges, take your earplugs out. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of sound men that do that, but I've heard that before. And for, for the lay people in the audience, a wedge is the, amplifier that's sitting on the ground angled up toward the singer yeah the speaker that's going to give you you can tell the sound engineer the the monitor engineer what you want to hear in that so a lot of times people up in in their front monitors what they want is kick drum so they so they feel very definitely where the where the beat is they want kick drum in there they want a little bit of bass they want the other vocalists if you're not the lead singer, you want you want the lead singer. If you're not the lead, if you're not the lead guitarist or the lead instrument, you want that in there so you know where the song, how the song is happening. And when Jimmy Page is done with his solo, you can right. <clears throat> but you don't. It's the rare musician up there that just wants the entire mix in their monitor. If you're the bass player, unless you're taking cues from the the keyboard player you don't really need it in there you'll take maybe a little bit just to kind of hear the sound of the band um but as the sound of in-ear monitors got cheaper more and more bands started having earplugs that actually had little speakers in them and you could get your monitor mix inside your little headphone thing and so like if you had, if you had just showed up oh, with like the regular earplugs in, foam like earplugs, the little foam ones shoved in your ears or something, yeah, like would people have been like, dude, what's his problem? Like he's not cool. No. <clears throat> um. No, but it just doesn't. I mean, I tried it, and it just it 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 puts you. It puts you too far out of no, where I can the see that. band is. I can see that. So you're just there and you're hearing your voice and you're like, yeah, I'm just in a blissful little, little <laughs> cone all here. About, can, all about John. Yeah, I can kind of <laughs> hear the band <laughs> and I can really hear my voice. And I mean, eventually you just, you, you pull one ear out because you need to hear the, you know, you want to hear the band because that's what's, that's what's inspiring. And I'm sure, I mean, there's, there's somebody, there's a type of everybody, right? So I'm sure there are 
lead singers or members of bands that have had earplugs in their whole lives. And, and that's just how they do it. But, you know, one of the, one of the things that came along, one of the fashions that came along for drummers was a, uh, a, a drummer sits on a stool, but drummers call that the throne, the throne. And so a drum throne is just the parlance, you know, there's, you don't, you don't snicker at it. That's just what we call the stool that the drummer sits on the throne. And in recent years, and I'm going to say for the last 12, 13 years, maybe 15 years, there have been drum thrones that actually have a speaker and a fairly large speaker in the throne pointing up at your butt. (laughs) And so what used to be the problem for drummers was, you know, you want to hear your own kick drum broadcast back to you because the sound of the kick drum is the, you know, that's the thing that's really pushing the tune and the drummer can't hear his, you know, uh, the drummer cannot hear their own kick right in a, in a washy rock room. So in the wedge, the, the monitor that's pointed up at the drummer, which used to traditionally is placed, um, like over by the, you know, by the hi-hat and the snare over to the left of a right-handed drummer. And it, it's pointed across the drum kit. So it's hitting the left ear of the drummer directly. There's nothing hitting the right ear of the drummer except the floor tom. But the left ear of the drummer is hearing the hi-hat, the snare, and the wedge, which are the three most <laughs> brutal things yeah. on the stage. Just right. like... And in order to hear the kick drum over those things, you have to crank it coming out of that wedge because it's a very low sound and you want it, you want to feel it, you know? And so drummers just like their left ears are just destroyed. Hmm. And so they, they came out with this throne kind of obvious once you think about it, though with a speaker built into it. And so the kick drum, you just send it to that and you're just hearing it right up your duodenum. You know, like it's just, it's vibrating your body, which is kind of how you want to feel it. And I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not a drummer and I don't sit on a throne, but I don't know how much of the other drums they would want in that. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know how much you want a hi-hat in your going up your bottom. But, uh, but that changed kind of, I, I don't know a ton of drummers that have those, but I, I imagine that would save your ear a little bit. It's complicated to stand on stage and get, I mean, I've had shows that were just destroyed by bad monitors. We played a, for whatever reason at the, at the peak of our game, we were asked to headline co headline with teenage fan club, a a big festival in Barcelona. And our show was in a, in the Plaza, the Plaza Real, mm. the center of uh, Barcelona, and big outdoor stage, big outdoor show, and we were the, you know, we were the, the big shot band, which was great, except we walked out on stage, <clears throat> and the crowd is, yeah, and we're like, yes, big rock show, this is phenomenal, and you know, uh, the the uh, Plaza Real in uh, Barcelona, it's one of those big big plazas that's lined on all sides. 
by beautiful old buildings. And so, you know, it's not like you're playing in a park. You're playing in this phenomenal um, little enclave in the center of the city, but a big enclave. And we start to play and having done a sound check and dialed everything in, you know, I hit the first chord and sang the first note and the band starts to play and the monitors go Hmm. just sending pure garbage noise at me. And I'm, you know, looking over at the monitor desk and I'm going, this sounds terrible. And they, the monitor guy doesn't speak English. Oh no. And so through the entire show, I'm like, just kill the monitors, you know, or just put kick and vocals. And it just goes from one version of, to, to, I mean, you know, there is music being played through it, but all I'm hearing is just a wash of garbage. And it really took the, it really made the show no fun. And, uh, you know, I was a little bit precious then. So, I mean, it's not like I had a tantrum and threw my guitar down and stomped off stage, but if I had been a little bit more famous, I probably would have, cause it was so, it was so bad. It sounds terrible. Yeah. And then you get off the stage and everybody's like, great show. And I was just like covered in fury and stomped off. And then, you know, you got all the, all the punters standing around who want to spill champagne on you and, <laughs> and they're like, what's the matter with John? You know, that was a great show. Why does he have to be such a prima donna? I was like, it wasn't a, well, I'm not being a prima donna. I just spent an hour and a half in a, in a, you know, like in a, a wind tunnel. And what can you, what can you say about that? You know, I had to, I had to, I had to get back. I had to, I had to walk my way back into like, okay, all right, I'll have some, I'll have some little fish on crackers or whatever and try and shake it off. But yeah, yeah no fun. I mean, what did the audience think of that? They could, who cares? Who knows? Yeah, but you I know, mean, Were they complaining or they didn't care? No, didn't no, but because it's only in the monitor. Only you that was hearing. Yeah. They hear a great, you know, because the front of house guy, the sound man that's out in the crowd is mixing a completely, di- he has mm. a whole different universe out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. He's trying to make it sound good to the audience, but that's not the sound that you're getting into your wedge. That's a different person's job. And that person was doing their job poorly and who knows why, right? I mean, they, it's in the middle of the show, so they never come out, stand next to me and hear what I'm hearing. Um, if they're doing a good job, they should be able to solo what I'm hearing and have that play back to them on the side of the stage. But some monitor people do that very meticulously and some monitor people don't. It's yeah, it's a, it's a, it's one of the, it's, there's a reason that that's someone's job cause it's hard to do. Right. And if it was easy to do, if you could just like, set it and forget it. Um, uh, you know, that we wouldn't pay somebody $500 a, a day to sit over there and, and, you know, you'll see musicians do it all the time where they're, they're up to play singing their song and they'll look over to the side of the stage and they'll make some sort of complicated hand gesture. This up, that down. Right. That's point, like a, point like at, a baseball signals. Yeah, right. Point at your ear, point up, you know, point up to the constellation Orion, you know, down to, and that's all stuff that they're saying to the, 
monitor person, like this is, this is what I need. And if you work with somebody for a long time, they just, you know, they just are like, yep. And they give you exactly what you need. When the monitors are great, it's, it's wonderful, wonderful experience. But you just have to deal with the, with the volume of noise to do, to do that. Oh, well, yeah, it's, everything's going to be loud. And then when you get to be my age, you have a, you have a Grand Canyon right. dip right in your, but I'm, I'm lucky I don't have tinnitus right. or tinnitus, which is something I, that's a way I've heard it pronounced recently, which sure. drives me crazy. Tinnitus, tinnitus. Uh, I don't, I'm lucky to not have that. And I know a lot of people who do, um, who just, you know, lay in bed and just hear ringing. Right. And that seems like a, that's a real bummer. But I went to the ear, the ear, nose, throat, and eye doctor. Oh, yeah? Five, before six, or after the, the blood pressure thing? Oh, a long time before. Oh, that was okay. probably seven, eight years ago. And <clears throat> he had a very terrible bedside manner. But at one point he said, well, the hearing damage that you have, we're... We're right on the cusp of being able to to re- restore your ears. Really? And I said, "Huh? How? The my understanding is that the cilia are are matted now, or or burned out, or something." And he was like, he got a sly look. I was going to say, like, was he offended that you used one of his words? Uh, no, no. I, when when I'm dealing with doctors, I always try to use as much nomenclature as I can muster, sure. both in order to be annoying uh-huh. <laughs> and also to, you know, like skip to the skip ahead. Yeah. Like, you don't need to say, well, there are little hairs in the ear. Like, let's just get to the right. Get to the end. But also, you know, the annoying part is like. Doctor, I am somewhat of a peer to you because I have read enough books that I know all the same terms. And I know that the knee bones connected to the leg bone and the leg bones connected to the hip bone. So basically I could be a doctor. <laughs> right. Uh, Those years of I, school that you have that I didn't have yet were yeah. still equal. You know, In this room, of- we're all equal. <laughs> The years of school you had was just, you know, crossing your T's and dotting your I's. I understand. You had to jump through the hoops. But I chose the life of an artist. But I could have been a doctor. I still could. Anyway, moving right along. Let's jump ahead. And doctors really appreciate that. They really like, you know, like it (laughs) when they they realize they're dealing with an informed patient. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he, yeah, he very cryptically said that they were on the cusp of, he was... You know, he was positioning himself as not just someone who is here doing hearing tests of old rock people, but he's on this. He's a scientist mm. who's reading the peer review, peer reviewed journals, and he knows what the cutting, the bleeding edge of the technology right, is. Right. And uh, we're on. You know, we're we're very close to achieving cold fusion. We're about to be able to recycle garbage into fuel, and we can restore your hearing. And you know, he's, he was obviously a futurist, but here we are eight or 10 years from then. And I'm not getting any phone calls from him or anyone else telling me that, 
my hearing can be restored and my <laughs> rapidly declining vision can be restored. Is your vision declining? Oh my God, Dan, I can't see anything. Mine's gotten much better. Your vision has? Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, I How? went and uh, and every every year I'd go in and I would get my eyes checked and the, the doctor would up, up my prescription every year and I'd, oh, you need new thing. And finally, I, um, I guess this was about five years ago and I was getting these really bad headaches and it's like I couldn't, if I spent more than like 10 minutes looking at a screen or reading something, I'd get a headache. So of course I figured I had a brain tumor and I was dying and sure. and, uh, and and you know because what what else would you possibly think you're getting headaches so it's a brain of tumor of course that's where I start of course and uh, someone said you should probably go get your eyes checked I'm like why that has nothing to do with the brain tumor but fine for you I'll go right. for you for you for you to to prove to so that I can you know, as uh, as I'm on my deathbed. From the brain tumor, I can laugh at you and say you made me waste an hour of my remaining days in the eye doctor, but that's fine. And the eye doctor, I described my symptoms. I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is, you know, something more serious, but, you know, maybe you can check me out. And he's okay, sure. And he said, oh, yeah, wow. He's like, I'm like, what? He's like, you're, you're way overprescribed. Huh? And I said, what do you mean? He says, your, your glasses are, they're way too strong of a prescription for you. What the? I said, well, are you, I said, are you saying that my vision improved? He's like, oh yeah, yeah. It's much, much better. It's gotten much better. Whoa. And I said, well, I didn't think that could happen. I thought it just kept getting worse. Like everything else in the world. Once you hit a certain age, it's instead of getting better, it gets worse. Mm. And he's like, oh, well, no, no, your vision he says, what's actually happening to you is um, you're, you're, as, as you start to get closer to middle age, your vision starts to decline in a different way, and that's actually like countering your nearsightedness in a way, or something. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not an eye doctor. Mm. Uh, I was excited. I said, well, this is great. Is it going to keep getting better? He said, well, it'll keep getting better until then it, then it'll start getting much worse. Mm. So I think you're just at the next stage from, from where, uh, where I am. But, uh, I had to go and get progressively better, <laughs> better prescription for, for a few years in a row. And now it's just kind of tapered off. It's pretty much staying the same, but I think we've talked about this. I have the Merlin Mann disease now, which is where you... You don't leave your house? <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, not. I, I don't have that one. The one mm. where... Because I guess I should clarify, because he's got so many, so many. Uh, the one where you've got to hold things far away from your eyes to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that sucks. I don't like that one bit. Yeah, I've got to lift call. up, lift up my eyeglasses, and then look under them to read something. Or I actually have a pair that I have that have a little bifocal action going on. Yeah, Dan. Ugh. I don't. I don't think that you are. I don't think that you're approaching middle age, Dan. You think I'm uh, deep in there? Well, I mean, double your age. Yeah. What is what? What is your age doubled? I. Uh, whoa, eighty-eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm right in there. Right, getting close to middle age. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I would say approaching it. 
I would say, yeah, that you're getting close. You're getting close to. I have a long, come from a long lived uh, family. So. Yeah, what's the average? Probably 75. 80. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think early, yeah. early 80s. Yeah, they're pretty long lived, but yeah. I would say you were right in the middle. I would say you were. Yeah, probably. Middle, 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 <laughs> right? Middle. Just pop. Yeah. Right, right in the, right in the pocket. Right yeah. In the sweet yeah. Pocket. Yep. I, uh, but, you know, yeah. we have life extending technologies and we are on the verge of restoring your hearing, John. That's right. I mean, life-extending technologies, I do feel like there are more people over 100 years old now than ever before. Right. But, and, and more people that are living healthy lives into, into, uh, into their 80s. That's right. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. By the time we get up there, or is it going to be routine to live to be 120? I, don't, I think it'll not only be routine, it'll be boring. Well, but if you're out there biking, if you're out there, you know, in it, in the end, right? In the end, the um, the world is going to become a utopia. Mm-hmm. We're all going to wear. Can't wait! I know we're all going to wear sort of unbleached linen <laughs> garments, <laughs> as we flowing, already do. <laughs> yeah, flowing unbleached garments. That's what I'm wearing right now, and raw cotton and silk, and uh, we'll ride. We'll ride our bicycles everywhere. The bicycles will, some of them be battery assisted and solar powered. Right. Uh, but everybody, no one's going to be, you know, nobody's going to be riding their bikes fast. We're all going to be slowly pedaling our battery assisted bicycles around with big smiles on our faces, eating genetic, genetically engineered peaches. And at that point in time, and with like enhanced vision and hearing, that point you're 120 years old why would you want to die yeah it's a very mellow pace you're probably still you're still able to be you know you're probably still in your sexual prime you'll want to keep living that's why we all need to be taking antioxidants mm-hmm. to combat those free radicals go on a, no, no, on a juice cleanse juice cleanse juice cleanse i'm on one right now during the show uh, from the beginning of the show <laughs> to the end, to the end, I'm going to be on a juice cleanse. I'm not <laughs> going to drink any juice during that time. It's more more of a coffee cleanse. Let's call it a coffee cleanse. I'm on. I'm currently on a coffee cleanse. Do you take any and, herbs or or minerals? No, my lady friend is taking that. Um, your special that, lady or your lady friend? My special lady. Okay, is taking uh, that. Magic new pill Elysium. Oh, I've, I've heard of this thing. Yeah. that costs like $2 a day and it's a pill made by some scientists, some MIT scientists who have completely circumvented the whole FDA, uh, like a, a process that they would need to go through to, to verify that this was a medicine. Mm-hmm. And they've just, they've stepped outside of that and they're calling it a supplement or a herbal remedy or some kind of thing where they don't have to spend five years in drug trials and they're selling it online. I think to, I mean, I think the Venn diagram of people that are, that at any point in time used Soylent right. and the Venn diagram of people that are now taking Elysium, I think the Elysium bubble is maybe bigger and, and about, you know, about half of 
you know, it vends about half of the, of the Soylent diagram because it's a, you know, it's a tech vibe. It's a, you know, Elon Musk wants to live in a hyperbolic chamber. Who's the asshole guy that wants to have like young people's blood transfused into himself? There's some Silicon Valley asshole who's, who's, you know, just a, just a pure. Well, that's what the lizard, the lizard people want that, the reptilians. Yeah. Yeah. He's, but this guy is, is positing himself already as a James Bond villain. Um, (laughs) Although all he's ever done is make an, make an app or something. I don't know who he is. (laughs) Right. But that's, that makes you a villain. I think in 2016, if you've got an app and you're in Silicon Valley, you're halfway to being a modern day Bond villain. Yeah. Yeah. It's today. He's today's, uh, he's a modern day warrior. Today's Tom Sawyer. Um, <laughs> By the way, I've been into. I wanted. That, I'm so glad you brought that up. Bookmark that to to go back to that because I have some in, questions to ask you about how I've been introducing my son to music and and Rush in particular. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we'll circle back. We can circle back to Rush. But uh, but anyway, so this Elysium stuff. It was here in my kitchen for a week or so, and I looked at it and. You know, the, the number of scientists that are like fairly prominent peeps are saying this is the real deal. And, you know, I mean, whoever the prominent peeps were that were like, I think this might be cold fusion. I think we might have it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't as prominent. So maybe I should start taking Elysium. Maybe it's going to make my coat shiny and my nose wet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be more interested in, in hunting and, and curling up in front of a fire. I think you need to get on this stuff immediately. Elysium. Yes. Can't believe that I'm sitting here advertising it. I'm reading all about it. I put it, the links in the show notes and everything. I mean, it's the encapsulation of 35 years of research in a bottle. Why would you not be on this? Metabolic repair and optimization. I want that. I bought one of the, I was at the drugstore the other day and I'm waiting for my prescription to be filled. One of my two prescriptions now. You got, I look you've up, got the mentals and you got the, the mm-hmm. blood pressures. Right. What well, about your sugar diabetes? My super diabetes? Sugar diabetes. Sugar diabetes? Sugar, sugar diabetes. Oh, I don't have any diabetes. Oh. Thought you had the sugar diabetes. No, 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 no. Oh, good. No, I'm fine. I good. can, you know, metabolistically I can process a lot of garbage. Um, but, uh, but I looked up on the wall and there was one of those little like pill containers where there's a little door for every day. Of oh, the- I've got them. I have one right now in my shirt pocket. Yeah. And I was like, look at that. You know, that, yeah, right here. that, that, that appeals to the part of me that likes boxes. <laughs> it appeals to the part of me that <laughs> likes, you know, little boxes connected to other boxes. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's like a, it's a low technology gizmo. It's a, you know, it's not much of a gizmo, but it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a thought technology. And I had been noticing that sometime in the afternoon, I routinely said, wait a minute, did I remember to take my pills? Mm. Which is a terrible feeling. And I had gotten into this habit of like, if you've taken your pill, move the pill bottle over into the area. (laughs) 
But move it from <laughs> that's this your system. That's yeah, your fail from, safe. <laughs> yeah. Move it from this area over to that area. But the problem is that that's I didn't the most send... John thing you've ever said. I think. <laughs> I, the, the problem is that you don't then remember at the end of the day to move it back into the first area. Right. So then it's just living in the second area and you're like, well, now, wait a minute. Does that mean that I forgot to move it or does that mean that I forgot to take it? Or that I, that I did, that I remembered to take it. So I bought the little pill box and I put my little pills in it and it's, and it, it actually has told me a couple of times, no, you didn't remember to take it. Hmm. So I feel like now that I've got a little pill box, there's room in there for probably two more pills per day. Maybe I'll buy some Elysium. Maybe I'll, I don't know what else I would put in there. Vitamin E, vitamin D. I got a lot of stuff on my list you should take. Well, send me an email. You were going to tell me, you were going to yeah, send Yeah, I do something. have, I do have an email, uh, that I could send you about the the blood pressure. Yeah, send me uh, send me your whole crackpot uh, re- re- regimen. I mean, that's not the the way to get someone to spend time on doing doing something for you to call it crackpot. But I will do it anyway. <laughs> what pill I case did gone, you get? What pill case did you get? Oh, it's just some. The thing is, one of the doors broke off before I was even home. So I don't want that crap. No, it's not a very good one, but. Then I realized the door that broke off was the first Monday, the door number one. And so the first Monday, is this one of the multiple? Oh, it's got two weeks, Monday through Sunday. And there's two levels of it. So it's two weeks at a time. And what, what that, what that enables me to do is I get all the way to the last Sunday, the last little bit of pills. And then I take the Monday pills in the morning of Monday and then fill up my refill up my two week box. And for whatever reason, I and now I have a system. That's the system. I don't get a full two weeks. I get 13 days mm. in the box, 13 days in the box. And hopefully this will, you know, hopefully this will not be a thing like my Fitbit where I get it wet one time, it falls apart and then I stop using it entirely. Hopefully I will keep remembering to use my pillbox until I upgrade to like a turned metal pillbox or a titanium one or something. And, uh, that'll be, you know, and then I'll be, it'll be Elon Musk. That'll You're be my one entry. step away from him as it is. Yeah. That'll be my gateway into, into Elonian levels. Right. Of, right. Like tech superiority. <laughs> well, what's on your list? What, 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 do you want to circle back to Rush right now, or do you do you want to go a different direction? Let's like, do our wait. let's do our sponsor. Okay, because you wanted you said you specifically you wanted to be involved in this one because this is personal to you. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Let's uh, let's get started. Our I, sponsor I mean, is uh, is Mac Weldon. They make clothing. They make underwear. Socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants. And it is, it is their belief, and uh, I might agree with them, that they're some of the best you'll ever wear. That's, that's what they strive to do. They want you to be comfortable. They want you to feel relaxed. They want you to look good. They want these clothes to perform well, whatever you're doing. You're working out. You're going to work. You're going to, on a date. 
is just chilling out, listening to some music, whatever you're doing, they want you to be comfortable. And who better to judge if something is comfortable than a, a man of leisure, such as John? Mm-hmm. And they they sent you some of these to try, and you've talked about it before on the show. But they, they sent you the they, they have silver integrated into them, mm-hmm. and you tried this out. And what was the verdict on this? Well, I enjoyed I enjoyed them very much, uh, and I particularly enjoyed the the fact that one of the pairs of underwear was impregnated with silver, uh-huh. micro silver, <laughs> yeah, which protected me against uh, UV rays. And I um, mean, I'm I'm not making that claim on behalf of Mac Weldon. I just think that it right. does protects me against microwaves and and hopefully protects me against having a laptop in my lap and. I think all they claim is that it's a deodorizer or a antibacterial. Right. But I felt like I was wearing a little bit of underwear armor. But here's the here's the thing and I don't want to just I don't want to keep uh I don't want to keep making everybody uncomfortable by talking about my girlfriend. And no one's but, uncomfortable. She might well, be, but none of us are. Who knows? I've never been comfortable talking about my my private life, but now it's, <laughs> you know, it's a it's a factor, it's a feature. Uh, of my life. And in this particular instance, in the Mac Weldon instance, she discovered these underpants Mm. and she's a very small person. She weighs 102 pounds, but she found that my extra large Mac Weldon underwear also fit her. Wow. And I don't know how that, I don't understand that technology. The Mac Weldon stuff is very, it's very compressing. It's not too tight. It's just that it, it's small and then you slip into it and it, it, it contains you. Yeah. But it is, I don't know, designed in such a miraculous way that it can also be worn by a hundred pound, uh, gal. And she was like, I like this underwear. And then it all disappeared from my uh my closets and so all of my mac weldon garments are now gone do you think that she took them i know for a fact they have been appropriated by her (laughs) um because at a certain point in in uh in a woman's cycle she wants to have um underwear that are not just small she wants to wear for a week or so some larger underwear. Right. That's more comfortable and more, you know, just like they're basically half pajamas. Sure. But they fit her. I mean, you look at her in them and you go, that's a nice little thing, little boxer. Um, so I have no idea, first of all, how Mac Weldon accomplished that feat of engineering. Because there's there are no other items that, that she and I can wear. I mean, it. She, her, her shoes are just a little bit larger than my daughter's, but, uh, but here it is. How tall and, is and she? Five, one. Oh, she's very tiny. She's small. Five, one. Two, five, two, maybe. That's five, little. I've one. I mean, I don't know when, when you talk to people about their height, it's hard to know. You just pick her up, put her in your shirt pocket as you're walking down the street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a moose and midge. Yeah, scenario. I love that. But but uh, but so anyway, I feel a little bit like not 
robbed exactly because they're still in the family, but I no longer have access to my own Mack Weldon underwear. Um, and you know, it's one, it's, it feels good, right? You like, you send them on down the stream, but I have, I had not gotten my full, I hadn't gotten the full use of these. So anyway, all, all by way of saying they are, uh, they're multi-purpose. They fit a, a wide, I mean, I can't imagine what the small underwear might look like. That's actually intriguing to me. Maybe I should order some of those. Not for myself, but... Well, I was going to say, the fact that you have uh, have lost track of them might not be a completely bad thing, because if you go to com, you'll get 20% off if you use the promo code ROADWORK, one word. So it's com, 20% off with the code ROADWORK. Well, that may be what I do. I you may do direct... Do I don't know if you're direct, eligible. Direct my lady friend to it. Yeah. I think she, um, I think she will, I mean, you know, she may benefit from that. She may just order some extra large men's because she's found a thing that works. Yeah. I don't don't know how, I don't know how I've never worn somebody else's underwear. Wait a minute. That's not true. Oh, when, uh, when, uh, John Hodgman and I were filming a television show with Dick Cavett, in uh on the top floor of the chateau marmont uh for a week so that's your hotel out that way it is a couple of years ago we all were staying in the in the chateau and we were doing this television show that still hasn't been released but they're working on it still anyway for one of the scenes for one of the gags some pa ran out and bought a bunch of underwear in different sizes so that Dick and John and I could all stand there in somewhat matching boxer shorts for some sort of setup of a joke. I don't remember what it was exactly. And so this PA came back with like nine pairs of blue boxer shorts in various sizes, large, medium. I think the smallest size was medium. And we wore these underwear for two minutes making this joke and I'm pretty sure that Hodgman and Dick Cavett also kept their real underwear on because you know, they're not prepared to go on what we were assuming was going to be national television with just their boxer shorts. Sure. No, they, so they put the boxer shorts on over their underwear so that it was a costume. Psychologically, it was a costume and not just being in their underwear. I just wore them as underwear. Of course. But then at the end of the shoot, then there's nine pairs of boxer shorts, uh, six <laughs> pairs of which were never worn. All right. That I don't know what was going to happen to them. They're going to get thrown in a dumpster. I mean, there's a lot of waste in Hollywood. So I said, I'm taking all these underwear and nobody said anything. And you know, that's, that's always been when I'm on tour. With the, and particularly when I'm on tour with a bigger band where they're kind of footing the bill for a lot of things and they're paying us um, a set amount, my policy has always been don't spend any money. Like you show up backstage, there's enough food backstage for you to get three squares a day. You're probably getting per diems. You're getting paid this set amount. 
bank all the money. Don't blow your money on Arby's. Just go backstage and eat the eat the sandwiches backstage. And at the end of the night, when they're about to throw all that stuff in the dumpster, grab the bananas, grab the Pellegrinos, mm-hmm. take them in the van. We're going to need them in the middle of the day. And, you know, one tour I did, I came back and all that, you know, all those per diems and just the extra sort of money that floats around, you know, it ended up being 10 grand that I wouldn't have had if I'd been spending that money on dinner. And yeah, it's a lot of money. There's a lot of money in show business. If you're on the money making end of it, or I mean, if you're making money, you're making real money. I've never, I've never been in a situation where I was paying out where I, you know, where, where I was paying to have a chef on tour, but I've been with bands that, that did. And I paid per diems. I paid pretty fucking good per diems, 20 euros a day to my band who were, you know, they didn't deserve 20 euros a day. That's a dollar 27 at the time. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, uh you know, what, what I'm trying to get at is that I took these nine pairs of underwear and I put them in my bag. And when I got home, you know, and I I knew that a lot of these underwear were mediums and I figured I probably wasn't going to fit in them, but I do fit into them. Mm. Not, they're not like the most comfortable, but they're free underwear. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Free underwear. You know, don't look free underwear in the, don't look at gift underwear in the mouth. So I still wear those and that uh, that's, that's just to say that, yes, I have worn somebody else's underwear. Technically I'm wearing Dick Cavett's underwear. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. And that's something right there, isn't it? I guess. Not everybody can say it. Yeah. No, almost no one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Dan, do you have a, do you have any, do you have any questions? Do you have, I mean, I, I, I assume that at this point in the show, mm. we're 50 minutes into the program and, uh, we're just really just a day separated from a fairly historic election mm-hmm. and you have, uh, you've studiously avoided directing us to talk about it. Um, is it, is it something that interests you to talk about or are you, are you avoiding it on purpose? You know, um, I, I was not avoiding it on purpose, mm-hmm. nor am I especially keen to talk about it. <laughs> um, if you'd like to talk about it, I would love to, to talk with you about it or we can talk about, uh, rush. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a bold, bold choice on your part because I, I'm, I'm, you're a fairly ex- political, politically minded person. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about it with you. Well, I mean, I, I, I assumed that we would start this show today mm-hmm. and you would be in a somber mood as so many people are. And you would, you would say, oh dear. And, uh, and we would just leap right in. But instead we've talked about lots and lots of little sort of uh, odds and sods. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I wonder whether or not that isn't, uh, that isn't actually the, the smart call. I think that's the thing to do. And I, I'll, I'll tell you why I feel like people turn 
to us as professional entertainers <laughs> to help them through a time when they may not be feeling that great about what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is, it is our job and perhaps our responsibility to you know to do to do our job and if so if we were comedians we should be making people laugh if we're writers we should be writing something interesting if we're and I'm working my way up the ladder to the very very top of entertainment which is podcasting and it would be our job to to talk and to entertain and to tell stories and to if if people are interested in hearing about the election there are plenty of places for them. To, I don't feel like we're their first place to go for that. Maybe I'm wrong. Was that right? I don't know. I feel like if you want to hear about the election or talk about it, that there's lots of places to go to do that. But where can they go hear a story about free underwear or, you know, Elysium or little boxes connected to other boxes? They can't uh-huh. find that anywhere. We're the only ones that can deliver that. You're the only one. They can tell that story about the wedges. When uh, you say, when I hear I wedges, I think of a woman's shoes. Really? Yeah. I would never use the word wedge to describe a woman's shoes. Oh. Well, that, I, I mean, no, no offense, but you're out of touch. Well, yeah, I don't know. If you put five women's shoes in front of me, I don't know if I could pick which one. Uh, there's, there's heels. Which ones were the wedges. But heels break down. Into lots of other things. You've got stilettos, you've got pumps, peep toes, wedges, peep toes, peep toes, platform. Peep toes. Yeah. What the hell is a peep toe? I mean, obviously, the toes. Tell me peep. what you think. Tell me what you think that would be. The toes peep out. But That's there right. Are, but there are a lot of shoes where the toes peep out. Well, if you. I'm not talking. I'm, I don't have any, but but if you if I were a woman, I would think I, I would have peep. Like, like, well, there are clothes. There are, like, if you're talking about like a woman's high heel shoe, not all of them, some of them come down to that point in the front. But if you, if you cut, if you cut the point off, then that, and then you can see the toes, then that's a peep toe. We're right at the threshold. Just as I'm almost at middle age, we're almost at the limit of my knowledge of women's shoes now. I see. I see. I can go a little bit deeper than that. Uh If I were to explain to you the difference between a kitten heel and there's some other kind of dog, dog heel, kitten, kitten, a kitten heel. And there's a some other one. Well, now listen, you know what a kitten heel is. You've got to know what a kitten heel is. I have no idea what a kitten heel is. A kitten heel so imagine, okay, imagine in your mind that a, a high heel shoe, you're probably thinking of a, what a, a woman would call either a pump or maybe even a stiletto where the back heel is like, like thin and pointy, but that's not all heels. I've been told Yeah, that's only one kind. Well, a kitten heel if you imagine that, that, that high heel shoe, if you have sort of take a, take a saw, a hacksaw, and chop off half of that tall spike 
so it's about a, a third of third of the size. That's a kitten heel. I mean, honestly, now you know. I honestly, I have wondered what a pump is. Like all of these terms I've heard because I've read lots pump, of books. A pump. You remember back in the eighties, and we'd watch cool like white snake videos, and they'd have the. Mm-hmm bimbos running around for lack of a better term they they you're talking about tawny catane yeah no offense they'd be in a in like a pump i don't know if pumps are worn today i don't know if that's as common right when i went to the junior prom my girlfriend at the time dyed her pumps to match some other aspect of our <laughs> costume. Pumps were something that you could dye to match. Okay. Um, I we've now crossed over the, my full knowledge. I don't know. I don't know anything about women's shoes, and I feel like it's a big, it's a big, like hole in my knowledge, because I understand that shoes are important. I understand that shoes are, you know, like. I've definitely sat on the couch and watched people come out in a pair of shoes, say, what do you think? Right. I've expressed an opinion. They have um, seemed to take no account of my opinion, (laughs) expressed their own opinion, but not to me directly, just to the room. And then they disappear and come back out in another pair of shoes and repeat again and again until finally a pair of shoes is decided upon that I don't feel like I had any input on in, although I was the, I was like the, um, in some way I was being used as a, as a repeater, as a, as a thing that was bound, like opinions were being bounced off of me, but it didn't kind of matter what I said. And, but I have strong opinions about women's shoes as you can imagine because i have strong opinions about a lot of things and so there are a lot of women's shoes that i like a lot and there are a lot that i don't like and i just don't know the nomenclature Mm -hmm. and i mean i have frankly i have a lot of shoes for uh for what it's worth you know i'm i i'm somebody who when i see a pair of shoes I'm, I, I, they appeal to me. Yeah. Both men's and women's. Sure. You know, I, it's a, they're clever and they communicate things. And I have, um, I have a, I, maybe I'll stop short of saying a shoe problem. Mm. But if, if I had no limitations, I think I would have more shoes than I do. And I already have a lot. So I understand how a person could end up with 50 pairs of shoes. Yeah. Now, I don't have 50 pairs of shoes, but I see how someone could end up with 50 pairs of shoes. Now, I don't know if I could go as far as to understand someone with 200 pairs of shoes, but it seems like, you know, you got to have shoes for this. You got to have shoes for that. Right. Pretty soon, you, you know, you got to have a, you like that pair of shoes. So you get two of them. Because when the one wears out, you don't want to, you don't want to be without that pair of shoes. But, you know, honestly, a lot of, a lot of, um, 
shoes that come out of that closet. I'm sitting on the couch and here they come. Here come the shoes. What do you think of these? I say, I don't like those. Those make your foot, you know, because, because high heeled shoes are made to make they're made, they're designed so that the foot looks like a hoof. Okay. Right. If you look at a pair of high heeled shoes, it is just the little heel, the spike heel is pushing the heel of the foot up so that it becomes, because if you look at the architecture of a, of a dog's leg or a right. cow's leg, right. you know, you can see where the heel is and it's halfway up the leg sure. because all those animals are standing on their tiptoes. Dogs don't have hooves. No, no, no. But I'm talking about like deer. Okay. Right. A deer is on its tiptoes and somehow we prefer the delicate hoof, which, you know, we all, we, it, it goes without saying, let's assume that everybody in the room is a doctor. Everybody that's listening to this program is a doctor. Yes. And so we don't need to describe how high heels are a hobbling, uh, device, right. To put women into a posture where they, where they have difficulty moving, can't escape, let's say. And also, you know, no, or if they were trying to run, run away from you. <laughs> or just in, in general to, uh, you know, to objectify women in a way where you say, listen, you're, you are meant to be up here on this platform or up here, uh, standing on your tiptoes mm-hmm. in, a in, in what almost appears to be a torture device. But, uh, a long time ago, I had the insight that viewed from a certain angle, a pair of black pumps where the, it comes down to a point and it covers the. It covers the joints of the toe, so you don't really see the toes. Right. It's just a hoof. It, it's just I, a, I can I can see that. It's a deer hoof. Uh-huh. And the you know the heel is just a it's just like a little prop. It's a like a little um, you know it's the other side of a ladder. Right. Just kind of pushing that that heel up there and giving it enough support that you can walk on your toes all night. But the heel itself is superfluous to initially superfluous to the desire to have the foot look like a hoof. And then as time goes on, you know, you put, you put chunkier heels, you get wedges, you get all these other things, but it's all about, it's all about creating that illusion of, um, of the, the, the hoof. Um, it's sort of a, uh, what do you think was the, the genesis of that? Mm, like deer are sexy, Dan. Deer are sexy. Look at a deer. We drive, we see my it, kids I'm on the way to school every morning. We look and there's this one place. There's like a little forest at the end of, uh, uh, of the neighborhood on the way to school where I think someone comes and must feed the deer because they all seem to congregate at the same spot at about the same time every morning. And my kids love seeing the deer every morning. There's sometimes the, the bucks with the big antlers will show up and the time change. Now we see them every morning. I've never, it never occurred to me that they were sexy. Well, Texas deer are small. Average. I would call them small relative to northern deer. Okay. You know, they're a little like... You're talking like a moose? 
No. Although a moose, I mean, a moose is an ungulate. Sure. But a moose, let's just say, let's, I mean, I hate to be normative, but a moose is not sexy. No. A moose is triumphant. A moose is. I think you're thinking of like, or when I'm imagining what you're thinking of like an elk, right? No, no. Elk are also, elk are noble. Yeah. No, I'm talking about a deer, like a white tailed deer. Like a stag. No, no. A stag is, you know, a stag is a. I just looked up. It says a male deer. Well, that's right. But, uh, but it's it also. It's also you, a person who applies for shares in a new issue with a view to selling it once for a profit. Really? That's what never, it says. I've never heard that used. British, British stock market slang. Okay. British stock market <laughs> slang. That's a thing I need to, I need to look into more. But no, a stag is like, a stag has all this display about themselves, but a white tailed deer running off, bounding off through the forest with their little, their little white tail sticking up, you know, in a sort of jaunty fashion on their prancing little hooves. Uh, it's a very sexy animal. All right. Well, you know, it's like, it's like a rabbit is a sexy animal. Whereas a fox is, you know, there's some sex to a fox, but it's, it's also <laughs> a fox is a little wily. A fox is a little <laughs> sly. A rabbit is just pure sex. Okay. Yeah. Just, just like a white tailed deer. Is right. No, it totally is. And, um, you know, where like a sow, a sow, is, a sow is not a sexy animal, a but pig? a piglet, no. a piglet is a sexy animal. No. A guinea pig, you would think is sexy, but a guinea pig, a guinea pig's not sexy. What do they call the big, the big, really big guinea pigs? Capybara. Cap- Capybara. That, what about those? They have a cute, they have like a wise look with their little squinty little eyes and looking at you. Yeah. Just, maybe they're wise, but they're not sexy. No, they're cute. Yeah. Yeah. They're cute. What about I a mean, raccoon? We've talked about them. Staring a at raccoon you at is, a raccoon is like a fox. You know, there's something, there's something that is, you know, there's sex in a raccoon, but it's, but that's not <laughs> a, a raccoon and a fox are, are, are a little too musky. Ooh. If you're. If you're someone who's a, like a bacchanalian, if you're like, if you, if you find pan sexy, then yeah, maybe you're going to like a, a ba- maybe you're bacchanalian, like, bo- like, yeah. ba- like Bacchus. Yeah, that's right. Like Bacchus. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. What are some a other drink called Bacchus animals? in, uh, in South Korea? Is that right? Mm-hmm. I don't think Bacchus is a, is normally. They call it, they call it Red Bull here. Hmm. But about 20 years ago, I went over to South Korea and everybody's drinking this thing called Bacchus. And I tasted it. It tasted terrible. And I'm like, what's it for? And like, wakes you up. <sighs> and then uh, they came out with Red Bull here in the States. And I tried it. And I'm like, this is Bacchus. Right. Same exact thing. Well, Look it it's up. like. Look it up. It's like all every country in Europe has some version of Uzo, mm-hmm. Grappa. Right. Um, Tweeka, Tweeka. Uh, yeah. And it's all just like licorice booze. Right. And it has a different name. So anyway, I think it's our job to entertain people as opposed to, but you know, I mean like, let's talk about, if you want to talk about it, I still want to talk about rush. Well, I mean, we're welcome. I I don't think, I don't think like at the, uh, one hour mark of this podcast that it's really time to 
to dive into what is an extremely complicated mm-hmm. moment in American history. Yeah, my my I think that people would tune into our program because they are struggling to make sense of all of the all of the things that happened. Yeah. 2 days ago, right? And so they're all, they're just trying to hear more voices on the topic. Mm-hmm. Um because there isn't an interpretation that I mean there's a lot of chatter right now, but of, of course all that chatter is coming from people coming from sources that were wrong. Mm-hmm. Like everybody was wrong and now they're trying to apply their frame uh, the frame that they were trying to apply before, which was wrong, they're now s- still trying to apply that frame to interpret what happened. And I don't think applying those different frames are make them any less wrong. Like you can't, you can't go into this election thinking that you have an understanding of what's about to happen, have what happened happen, and then continue to think that you understand or, or, you know, unless you're having a true reckoning. And I think a lot of people are, I think a lot of people right now are sitting on their couches and staring at the wall going, what is reality? So I think people would tune into this program in order to hear us discuss it just to add to their quiver Mm. of, of arrows of, you know, of like reckoning new knowledge because you, the people that I, I mean, I'm staying off the internet right now. Because the people that... Yeah, I saw you kind of go, you kind of went away. Yeah, both because I was wrong. And so what do I have to say right now? All I have to say is I'm having cake for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only, that's, that's what's happening with me right now. To wade immediately back in and start laying down, you know, um, laying down an interpretation of these events that... Uh, hasn't had where I haven't reflected at all uh, seemed wrongheaded. Yeah. And I feel like that's like the, as the weeks progress, things will make more sense. I'm, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm an advocate right now of everybody just shutting the fuck up, calm the fuck down and shut the fuck up. And, uh, you know, think about it. Um, but, yeah, I think we well, have I, chosen. We've chosen in this program not to talk about it, and I think that that's that is right in line with calm the fuck down and shut the fuck up. We're talking about women's shoes mm-hmm. and uh, hearing problems. Yeah, right. So let's talk about Rush, and okay. we'll 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 table the election to a future to a future episode. Well, I think I think there's something to be said for that because I think that. There's still a lot to think about, and yet things are are still happening in the world, and there's th- there's a whole lot that's happening in the world that needs to happen, whether or not we feel happy or sad. And my experience in life has been one of pretty consistently, um, things in the world aren't necessarily the or whether it's with myself personally or around me are not really the way I might want them to be. Um, and, and so, or not the way you thought they would turn out. And so this is, this is life sometimes, Mm. you know, things don't turn out the way that you think they're going to, or the way you think they should, or the way you want them to. And that doesn't mean that you're not 
you shouldn't have a feeling about it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't experience your feelings or your emotions or that they're not perfectly valid. Sure they are. But this is a rare occasion. It's a rare occasion. Rare but, occasion where, where, uh, where it isn't just a case of like, well, I thought this was going to happen and that happened. It really right, it's is not, truly, It's not a flat tire. Yeah, it's it's truly a it's truly a world world historic moment where America seems to be something very different from what we all thought it was thought it was, and I think that I think that cuts uh, across the across the aisle. I think that a lot of a lot of the people on the side of the of the victorious are also pretty surprised mm-hmm. and and stunned. And I mean, I think happy but also also looking at the future with a sense of like well now what like, right this is pretty we can be excited about all the things we're going to do and all the all the recent laws we're going to overturn and the the way we're going to set the course of the country but but um you know it's a lot of responsibility it is but just you know we've got to like go day by day right now that's all uh, we can right. do that's all we can do right but I don't think of us as an entertainment program. I don't think of us as something that people tune tu- tune into to, uh, you know, to like have a have some friends that are having some fun. Yeah, you know, I think people tune in because they're thought provoking. Well, and also there are a lot of people in in our country uh, who are akin to us who are living in states of you know, not isolation but mm-hmm. somewhat. You know, they are smart and they are working in a world where their, you know, their intelligence is one of the criteria, Mm -hmm. but they don't for whatever reason. And it's very, it's, it's understandable, um, that they not, or that they don't really have like a, a, a circle of peers that they turn to where they feel comfortable expressing themselves freely and in a world of ideas. And so they tune into podcasts like this because they feel like, Oh, there are some people that, that even if they don't think exactly like I do, there are people who are thinking and I like to think, and I like to listen, you know, and because it makes, because it feels like it's part of my circle of, of, um, uh, a world that I wish I had more access to where people are, are, just chatting about real things and not sort of talking about the weather. So, so although I think we are entertaining, we also talk about stuff that, uh, and that politics really are, yeah, politics is right in that wheelhouse. And right now it's a, everybody's interested in politics and that's not the case most of the time. Right. And more than every four years, people in America get interested in politics, just like every year suddenly everybody's interested in football or you know when you're when your team it, it gets into the super bowl all of a sudden everybody in that town is a huge fan of the 49ers <laughs> right where nobody gives a shit about the 49ers most of the year um so everybody's into politics right right now you know and i think there are probably a lot of people that are canceling their subscription to the newspaper because they don't think that they can bear reading mm. about, about politics uh for much longer, but there'll be plenty of time, plenty of time for us to, 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 to wade into that world. And, you know, I look forward to it. I'm, I'm, I know there's a lot of hopelessness right now, but I am not hopeless. I still believe in America 
etc., etc., etc. Now, you're trying to introduce your son to Rush, well, which seems in, like a fool's errand. Inadvertently, um, starting at a very, very young age, my son has been interested in, uh, in music. I think most children are very interested in music. Uh, but he had an uncanny ability, and I, I have captured this in a podcast episode or two that I did with him, uh, where he was not only able to identify an individual song, but he could tell you the song and the artist. And, and then I could hit him with songs he'd never heard by an artist that he might have heard one song of, and, and he could immediately identify it. And he could do this at about age four or five. Um, so he's always had a good ear for music and for different bands and, and things like that. And, and, mem- and remembering what an individual singer sounds like or something, you know, like, um, just being able to, um, being able to identify a characteristic, you know, like play him, um, money for nothing and he'd say is that sting singing in the background you know mm-hmm. um, oh, he, he he picked up on sting he picked he? up on sting having um money for nothing. yeah and or like like the first time he heard beat it he said that sounds just like eddie van halen playing guitar. no oh really? yeah oh yes oh, he's he's a savant very good mm-hmm. and there was because he's so good i don't want i don't want to poison him i don't want to injure him Mm-hmm. And so I'd intentionally not let him hear Rush at all because there's good and bad things, I think, when you hear a Rush song in that nobody wants to hear a Rush song. Really? You're going to come just say no one wants to hear a Rush song? No one wants to, but Ow. you eventually hear the song and then immediately it's stuck in your head for a long, long, long time. And that's why you don't want to hear it because you said the Tom Sawyer line. Now the whole time it's been playing in my head just because you said that one thing. No one wants that. The space he invades, he gets by on. Oh, don't. I can't really do. I mean, you know, my bass player. Oh, you've done it. That was accurate. My bass player can air drum Eric Corson, bass player of the Long Winters. I don't mean to call him my bass player. He's his own bass player. His Eric own, Corson, own person. bass player of the Long Winters, among other projects, it can air drum with such precision to the entire Rush catalog. Wow. That he should have a TV show where that's just what he does. <laughs> that's great. I mean, he knows those parts. Uh, and I mean, Rush, and Rush is known for being a band of intensely talented musicians. Mm. Um, they're especially in the world of drumming. I, I understand. Yeah. Back in it, back in a time when, you know, when, uh, we made rock stars out of drummers, right. Which I don't think we do quite, quite as much anymore. I mean, quest love, I guess is a, uh, drummer that we made a rock star of but um but yeah in the in the 80s in the 70s and 80s there are quite a few drummers bonham pert um 
you know, whatever, uh, Basio. There are a lot of, a lot of drummers that, that, that came to the forefront of their, of their band. And yeah, right. We're, we're a key, we're a key element rather yeah. than just a support player. So he, um, he got into a TV show, Futurama. Sure. Great and TV show. Love it. I was it. thinking about Futurama the other day. Love Futurama. The first time I saw Futurama, I didn't get it at all. I thought this is a sub, this is the Simpsons people doing the spinoff, like, right. like, uh, American dad. Oh yeah. Remember, uh, I think it's still on TV. The, um, the, what's the show with the, with Peter Griffin and Stewie cartoon show. Yeah. Based, um, based entirely on references. Yeah. I know the one you're talking about. Um, about, uh, family guy. Family Guy. So the first time I saw Family Guy, it seemed, which is a long time ago, we were staying at Bob Weston's house in Chicago. Bob Weston, famous record producer. And he was like, you got to see this show and put it on VHS tape. This was the, because Family Guy had an original run, then it was canceled, and then it was picked up again and had a subsequent run. And the second run was much longer than the first. I think the first run was one or two seasons. So he had the first two seasons on VHS and we watched it in his living room and it seemed very transgressive and it was, you know, and we were all laughing, like we all got it immediately. It got pretty tiresome after a while. And now family guy is very hard to watch. But then American dad was a spinoff of family guy that from the first moment you sat in front of it and watched it, you realized this is awful. This is not funny at all. It's just really like it's tortured how badly it's trying. You know, it's just trying so hard that you can't find it funny. And when I first watched Futurama, I felt like this is, what is this? Who are these people and why do I care about them? And I I was turned off by it. But then I watched it again sometime much later. It came on, it was in reruns on cable or something. And I was bored at at some point and in front of a TV and I binged on it. And it, you know, Futurama is an amazing television show. Like truly, truly. Really is. Great TV. I wish it, they were still making new episodes. I know. I think about Dr. Zoidberg all the time. <laughs> all the time I think about Me Zoidberg. Me too. And, yeah. and, my, and, and so my son got into this show big time. Yeah. And, oh, and Rush is on that, right? Yeah. They, there is one episode in particular um, where I think there is some kind of alien invasion that um that fry is the only one capable of defeating because essentially it the plan of the aliens is um move left and then shift down and move left and shift down which is of course space invaders and he knows how to defeat them because he's excellent at space invaders and he says <laughs> the line that he says is uh, he said, don't worry, like, I've got this. He said, I, I, I got a two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-rush mixtape. Like, mm-hmm. let's let's go, you know? Mm-hmm. And, of course, starts playing Tom Sawyer. And my son asked me, what's that song? You know? And I said, oh, oh well. Yeah, here we go. Here we, here go. we go. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I tried to play it. Oh, you probably wouldn't like it. He's like, no, it's, it's, I, I can't get it out of my head. I'm like, okay. So, you know, I, I sort of inadvertently had to introduce him to a few Rush songs. And, you know, as I, I turn to you as a musician, is this, have I done wrong? Have, is there a better way to, 
like do i have is there pen penance i have to do of some kind or is this okay and how do i i don't want him to, i don't get the impression he's gonna like rush but now he knows rush you know what i'm saying he knows about rush he knows about them he knows a few of the songs i'm hoping i he gets to the point where if i like i played him some fat boys and uh <laughs> yeah yeah fat boys and he really doesn't like the fat boys and i've tried to explain to him that the fat boys are we probably wouldn't have beastie boys which he loves if it wasn't for the fat boys you know mm-hmm. um you know there there's a lot of we wouldn't had bismarcky if we hadn't had the fat boys well i don't know about that well, but he so so he understands that that the fat boys there's some it's valid to at least acknowledge them, but he hates them. And if I even just start playing it, he's like, dad, I, please stop, please stop. And he'll wow. roll his window down, you know? Wow. Not, he just doesn't want it. Yeah. Right. So I didn't know. I mean, like, have I done, have I done some damage here or is this, is this all right? Well, what I don't know anymore is how much, how much danger there is in music for young people. Like if they don't play it backwards. Well, not just that, but like, I mean, the first time I heard rush, it was in the context of like older boys who were smoking marijuana and listening to rush, which felt like a, which felt like music that was a gate, a gateway to a darker world where, uh, uh, first of all, inhabited by older boys, but also, also a strange place where the, like in Canada rush. And I was always very surprised by this, but in Canada rush is more regarded as sort of a hick, Hesher band. They're not thought of as especially intellectual because Rush fans in Canada are just like, duh, metal. <laughs> but in America, like the people that listened to Rush were definitely wearing denim jackets and definitely had long, slightly feathered mm-hmm. hair, but mm-hmm. it was only feathered because they combed it with a big plastic comb. Right. They weren't, it's, it wasn't feathered and spray painted or sprayed. It was just feathered and greasy and like, they were rock people. Yeah. Definitely. But they weren't metal heads. There was, there was something about Rush that was smarter and more, um, you know, wickeder. Like their, their logo for a long time was a, was a pentagram and it wasn't. It wasn't an inverted pentagram. It was just a, it was just a star. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the cover of 2112, it's like a red, there's a red star that all you have to do is flip it over and it's a pentagram. And it was, but, but you know, the, the changing time signatures, the strange Ayn Randian lyrics, <laughs> it, it definitely had, there was, it, this it was is the scary. one about the, the, like the star, the red star and the, 
the priests what? in the temple yeah, the, of the thing. The temples of Syrinx. Syrinx, That's right. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Twenty and 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 even though when I was in high school, I mean, Rush was releasing an album every year. Um, that and they released a series of like truly great albums from twenty one twelve through hemispheres through like the the records that were big like the big record was moving pictures right that was the one that had all the hits but there were you know there were rush albums coming out all the time and yet they weren't really played on mtv and they weren't really played on i mean moving pictures got played on the radio a lot but like 2112 it was that album it was that album oriented rock era where there were radio stations that just played like deep cuts off of albums. That was a, that was a format. But so rush, my introduction to them was absolutely not a thing where it was like, Hey, my dad played me this cool new band. Mm. It was like you, first of all, you overheard rush coming out of Camaros. Right. Um, and then you heard rush at parties but it wasn't the music that was playing in the living room. It was when you got deep enough into that party that you went upstairs and then in some back bedroom where everybody was smoking pot, they were playing Rush. Right. And so so Rush always had there was mystery about them and and a certain amount of danger and rock and roll had a lot of danger then. I mean Billy Squire was somebody who took some uh some rock and roll stuff and made it not dangerous, right? There were a lot of bands that made rock not dangerous. Death Leopard made rock not dangerous. But Rush did not. It was a long time before Rush was not dangerous anymore. And that's interesting. You know, even through the even through the mid 80s when they had pop hits like Getty Lee is very strange. He's strange looking. He mm-hmm. sounds strange. He's very proficient on the bass considering he's also doing all this other stuff like playing the keyboards, the bass pedals and singing these complicated songs. Like everything about them is strange. They're not, they weren't Van Halen. They weren't, there was no sex at all to rush. Right. Not a single thing sexy about them and no sex around them. You, you imagined that they got off stage and went into a space where there were some like uh, uh, devices and, and tuned into like Soviet numbers stations or something. I mean, rush was not, you didn't picture them having sex with groupies. You didn't picture them, especially doing drugs. Right. There was clinical, something clinical about them. Yeah. But also like, are they practicing some sort of sorcery? Yeah. Right. There was something there was sorcery about. But now that music is all like the playing fields of all of those genres have all been completely leveled. Like you could be listening to a playlist that had uh, like mid period Pink Floyd, which also seemed otherworldly and not dangerous in the way that Rush seemed maybe that they were practicing sorcery. Like Pink Floyd weren't practicing sorcery. They were heralding the heralding an apocalypse. Like you could listen to something, you could listen to 2112, something off the wall, and then 
Peter Gabriel's sledgehammer <laughs> and then, uh, you know, an Avril Lavigne song and a Katy Perry song and then back to, and, and you might very well as a young person, not really know, not, not, it's not that you don't know, it's that you don't care to contextualize those musics in their time. And it's just all music and it's all from before and it all sounds good and you like it for various reasons, but not knowing about it in its context in time, maybe rush doesn't sound scary. Maybe it just sounds interesting and maybe pink Floyd. I mean, pink Floyd still has to sound a little bit, uh, heavy at least, but heavier than Elliot Smith. I, I, I can't even, I can't even compare yeah. them, but if you were list, if, if somebody made you a mixtape and it had, um, you know, it had mama and it had, uh, waltz number two on it and you just listen to them back to back. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe it's, it, maybe it flattens all the hills and valleys. Yeah. So in terms of turning your son on to rush, you're, you're establishing, you're establishing this music in a new context, Mm -hmm. which is my dad knows a lot about music and little by little, he showed me this stuff and I liked this and I didn't like that. But there's that, there's that other aspect of it of like, this is music now that belongs to me. I'm going to take it into my room and listen to it on my headphones. And this is not a thing I'm sharing with my dad. This is the beginning of my own trip that I'm on and I'm getting into, I'm getting into the, you know, you get to that certain age and you're like, I'm getting into the heaviness here. And that's the beginning of your experience of, uh, of saying like, my folks don't get this. Yeah. And whether or not he's going to find that in music of his own era or whether he's going to find it in um, in music of the past. I mean, my parents didn't listen to rock and roll. So I was able to go back to the British invasion. I could listen even to Elvis and feel like my parents didn't get it because my dad only listened to jazz and my mom thought that rock and roll was for kids because in 1955, she was 21 years old. Right, and right. when you're 21 years old in 1955, you're, you're already listening to Stan Kenton <laughs> and sitting around, you know, go bebop, ba ba you're, you're already thinking like playboy club, like, like this is the hot, ja- hot jazz. You're not thinking let's go down to the, to the armory and watch some sweaty hillbillies play. Right. right this weird loud music with a bunch of screaming 15 year olds. So as crazy as it sounds, the fact that my mom was 21 in 1955 set her on a course in life where rock and roll was a thing she came to a lot later. She was only introduced to it as not kids music. Like you, you hear a lot of old people say that the Beatles yesterday Mm -hmm was the first song they heard where they went, Oh, there's more to these Beatles right. than meets the eye. Like that's a, that's a nice tune yesterday. And you think about the radio in the mid sixties, 
that tune you could you could be a fan of of uh you know just musicals or you could be a fan of of uh, like nelson riddle right and get into yesterday anyway so i could listen to you know i could listen to the earliest who recordings and still feel like i was into something that my parents couldn't access sure now right what's he going to listen i mean he could listen to like the even the edm stuff the kids listen to today i I can get into that sure you know what the deal is i mean if he started listening to to swedish black metal yeah like the 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 gnarliest uh norwegian like church burning black metal Mm -hmm. you might be out you might be like this this is awful this is gross but you would understand you would you would understand it's uh it's heritage. You'd be able to, you'd be able to backtrack and say, right, well, this came out of, you know, this came, this was derived from the moment that Metallica started a new direction in metal that, you know, that led to Slayer, that led to, um, that headed off in this direction where metal was no longer, uh, dragons and sorcery but became a technical yeah you know like speed metal was the derivation of this you wouldn't just be listening to it going what is this right you would just be listening to it saying like well that sucks for a variety of reasons hope you grow out of this phase so i don't know i don't know how how people your son or my daughter's generation are going to use music to distinguish themselves or even if they are, even if they, maybe music doesn't fulfill that function anymore. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that. And that, in that growing up, especially, I remember starting in grade school, but absolutely in junior high and high school, the kind of music that you listen to, that like that, and the t-shirts that went along with it that you would wear, that determined who your friends were and how you fit in with them, if and how you fit in with them, and and in some ways your position or place in the social circles of the school. That was the whole whole way it was done. Yeah. You know, and it's why so many people our age are still, I mean, if you sit sit around with a group of people my age for very long, you're going to start talking about music Mm -hmm. because, you know, and there's a lot of retroactive mythologizing too about my generation because a lot of us when we were 15 years old a lot of people my age when they were 15 years old were listening to in excess right and then by the time they got to be 22 years old they had to create a new backstory for themselves because they were living in town and punk rock was ascendant and all the people that were the cool people had these back, these very cool backstories about how punk they had always been. And all of the, all of the bands of the mid eighties that they'd been listening to and all the punkness of them and the, the, the time they'd spent down at the youth center and the time they'd spent just sitting on the sidewalk, bumming cigarettes. And it was very hard to be 21 years old in 1992 and say, well, I used to listen to in excess but then Nirvana came out. Yeah. And all of a sudden now I'm like, 
right here with you guys doing just bumming cigarettes and I'm down here just loser. <laughs> and so, so people had to reinvent themselves and that meant going back in their own history and finding that picture that they took it at Halloween in 1983 when they, when they wore a mohawk that they kept the, a shaving cream mohawk. Right. And taking that picture and putting away all the pictures of them in Phil Collins t-shirts and bringing that shaving cream mohawk picture out and saying, this was me. Yeah. And, you know, as somebody who was there in 1983, there were not that many punk rockers. It was a very small group of people. And in 1993, there were an awful lot of people who, who were hoping we all misremembered them as having been punk rockers in 1983. Mm -hmm. And you still hear that the reverberation of that in talking to those people now when they're 45, because they, you know, they're, they'll tell their, their musical story and they all have this moment where they became punk and some of those things are believable and some of them aren't. Um, there's a, if you have a lot of knowledge of rush, but you're also telling a story about how punk you were in 83, those two things don't line up. And there are a lot of people my age that have a lot of knowledge of rush. Yeah. But somehow we're also listening to Husker Du. And at the time, if you met somebody who was listening to Husker Du that also was really into Rush, that would have been very unusual. Yeah. Like that would have been, uh, you know, that person would have been a, a, an exceptional outlier. Black Flag, to be listening to early Black Flag and also Rush would have just been in, incompatible, socially incompatible. And, 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 but there are a lot of people now who, you know, who'll sit and talk about rush all day. Woo rush, 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 rush. And then you listen to them say like, but as soon as, you know, black flag came out, I was just com completely converted and turned into a new person. It's like, really? You were 13 during all of that. I'm having a hard time imagining you <laughs> right. occupying both of those spheres. Although now, you can listen to both things, right? And not, and there's no incompatibility. It's just that social overlay that you're talking about where you picked a side, you were in, you stood in one part of the student center and yeah. the, the people that, you know, that could cross those lines were, were rare. Cross those lines and be accepted both places. Those sure. were rare individuals. Yes. So you're, you're, what it sounds like you're saying is I, I haven't done permanent damage. I don't need to worry. I'm all right. He'll be all right. I'm, I'm wondering what responsibility we have at a certain point to say, um, when our kids say, what is this about rush? Yeah. To say, huh, well, you know, I don't really know that much about them. Um, you know, they're, 
they're kind of, I mean, you know, I've listened to them, but I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that I understand them all the way. And then just turn around and go back to driving. Yeah. With wide eyes, just wait for your kid <laughs> to say, huh, I think I like them. Uh-huh. And then let them have it. Uh-huh. And not be kneeling next to them saying, and the thing, the thing that's amazing about Neil Peart is listen to his hi-hat work. Because there are already a lot of parents of our generation who want to be best friends with their kids. And they're down there sharing all of the things that they loved as kids with their own kids. And when I think about my upbringing, like my dad played Count Basie in the car. And he, I think, liked that I liked Count Basie because right. it meant that when we got in the car, we could both just put on the music. It was a question of, do we put on the music or not put on the music? It wasn't a question of like, what music do we put on? And he bought an eight track tape of the Jackson five's greatest hits. And we <laughs> I, had, I love that it's an eight track. <laughs> we right. We had an eight track tape of the Beatles revolver. Oh, and we had an eight track tape of Simon and Garfunkel's bridge over trouble water. And those were the three eight tracks. Um, because we used eight track tapes in our, in our household. Those were the three eight tracks that qualified as, as popular contemporary music for us. The rest of it was all, was all, you know, big band jazz. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, what my dad tried to do was get me into sports right. because that was what he cared about. I didn't get into sports. Um, I wasn't made to get into sports. Mm -hmm. And that was a gulf between my dad and me. But he didn't get down on his knees with me and say, you know, this is, these are the comics that were in the newspaper when I was a kid. You know, I really loved Crazy Cat. Let's read all the Crazy Cats together. And I'll tell you, as we're reading them, how much they affected me as a kid. Mm -hmm. And let's go buy Crazy Cat figurines. And my dad didn't say... Um, you know, we used to, you know, we used to go down to Chinatown and, and so let's you and me go down to Chinatown and see if we can steal some firecrackers. Yeah. Like he, like my childhood was sort of, uh, mine. And so I feel like at a certain point, a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of my friends, a lot of grownups of our age have spent our children's childhoods down there with them trying to, I don't know what, trying to spare them the effort, the long effort of discovering those comics on their own, trying to, um, trying to give them the good stuff so that they, so that they grow up not impoverished and not reading bad comics. Like I spent so many years reading Richie rich comics oh. and Casper, the ghost comics and, um, Sergeant rock and Archie. Uh, and now I'm reviled by my friends because I don't know the difference between Stan Lee and Stan gets. And I still, am not interested in superhero comics. And the fact is at the time I wasn't, my friends all reading superhero comics and I thought they were dumb. 
I thought they were dumb then. I think they're dumb now. Um, and, you know, a lot of the people I know don't understand that. Hodgman still sends me fucking superhero comics. Yeah. And Merlin would if he if he knew, if he thought for a minute that I would, that I would read them. Sure. But at a certain point, all of the adults of our age are going to have to detach a little bit from our kids and step back and say, I don't know about Rush. Maybe you, if you like them, you should find out about them. Like, I don't know everything. And you find out, you know, you have to find danger in your own world and, and, uh, confront it on your own. And if this music like scares you and you, and you come to me and say, this music is scary. Um, I might have to say it does sound scary. I don't, I don't know what to do about right, it. Right. And not be, not always be the hero of your kid. Right. Be a parent. Kid's life. Be a yeah, parent. At a, cer- at a certain point, stop being their friend, stop being their hero and start saying, start even saying things like, you know what? I don't like you. Li- I don't want you listening to rush. Right. Rush, uh, is dangerous. They have dangerous ideas. And then leave it at that. And then when you hear Rush coming from their room, go pound on the door and say, are you listening to Rush? And I don't know if you want to, I mean, that's, that feels like gamey, right? I don't know if you, I don't know if that's right either. But at a certain point, they're going to find something there. They have to find something you don't, you don't like. And, you know, don't push them into a posture where they have to find something truly awful uh, in order to, in order to separate themselves. Uh, but I don't, but I, you know, I'm no expert either. I've got a, I've got a five and a half year old that lately has been saying, daddy, why don't you move out? Really? Move out of of my own home. She's like, move out of Seattle, move to the moon, move to go fuck yourself. And I'm like, she's not said that. I'm like, this is an interesting phase you're going through because she's just trying to, she's, she's, she gets an idea and she wants to put it out in the world. She's not doing it with a smirk on her face. She's not doing it to hurt my feelings. She's getting ideas and she wants to hear how they play. And I don't chastise her. Right. I say, well, let's take a look at what that would look like. Um, where would you keep the toys that are currently at daddy's house? And she goes, Oh, I could give some of them away. I give some to my friends. I would take the following toys with me. And I'm like, well, where are you going to live? Oh, I'm going to go live with my friend, Nora. Mm. You're going to live at Nora's house. Yeah. Well, have you talked to Nora's parents? No, but I think that they, I think that there's room for me there. Like they have that other room. I could sleep in Nora's room. Well, all right. We should talk to Nora's parents about that. If they're into it, like, I mean, I would miss you. And she'll say, (laughs) well, you could visit me. Like she's working stuff out somehow. Right. And for me to be in there with my feelings and be like, what, why do you want to leave? No, I'm your daddy or what, you know, that's, I don't know if that's what she's looking for. Um, I certainly, I certainly, she, she's not living in a world where she doesn't understand that I, that I care about her. I don't know what she's. I don't know what she's trying to get at, but I take all of her 
little, um, I take all of her suggestions on the face of them and pretty seriously. And I work through what, what it would look like. And if we arrive at a thing where, cause lately she said, why doesn't Nora's mom move in with you? And my mom could move in with Nora's dad. And then, uh, will, you know, I'll go live with Nora and keep my mom and Nora's mom can move in with you and maybe take the, take their little kid. And then you'll still have a daughter. It'll just be this, it'll be Nora's little sister. And I'll still, you know, and, and Nora's father will still have two girls and, and, and I'm listening and I go, well, yeah, but your mom now is going to have two daughters when she used to only have one. Mm-hmm. And Nora's mom is only going to have one daughter where she used to have two. Now, Nora's mom can come live at daddy's house. That's no problem. Mama could go live at Nora's house. That's no problem. But we're, but two of the people, the moms are changing the number of daughters they have. And that is enough. My daughter will sit there and think about that <laughs> quietly until right. the next time we talk about it, you know, and the next time we talk about it, she's got a new, she's got a solution to that problem. So beats me, uh, beats me what I'm going to do when she says, is rush good? Thank you.